everybody and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here and I'm joined by Don as usual. Today we have for you a Q&A episode. We have been piling up the questions in the mailbag and we're going to try and get through as many of these as we can. But I guess first we wanted to talk about the Hagia Sophia or, or was that a question, Donald? Yeah, we got a question from okay. someone that asked, please do a whole episode on the Hagia Sophia. Lots of meat on that bone. Very eager to hear Tom's opinion. I'm not sure if we're going to do opinion but we'll get the capsule uh you know we'll get the capsule opinion and then i think that'd be a good way to start us off so yeah sure yeah i mean to be honest i don't really have very strong opinions about it i i feel like it's a turkish issue primarily i i mean obviously other people have a stake in the thing as well but for me it's not it doesn't feel like something just because it's like a mosque islam thing i don't feel like i have a real stake in it uh i i guess i'm like broadly supportive of it it seems like a fine thing like uh, they're not going to be it's not like they took over a church and are like converting it into a mosque which i would not be in favor of but it's yeah. it's been a museum i think it's important to understand the history behind it that it was converted to a museum by ataturk and uh you know all the the christian aspects of it from from prior to becoming a mosque are still there like there's icons there and stuff like that and I believe the plan is to keep those in place, which I think is great. That was like one concern I had, but that doesn't seem to be something that they're trying to like get rid of or anything like that. So it's, it, it seems fine to me. I mean, it was, it's always been a place of worship, right? Whether, whether it was in Christian hands or uh, Muslim hands. So I think that it's great that it's becoming that again and that people can go there. I mean, it's a, a beautiful place. I've never been there myself, but you know, of course it's like a, like a world landmark so yeah i think i think it's great i mean the, the one like kind of negative or iffy thing about it is that it's part of like erdogan's political kind of pr stuff and you know if you don't buy into that and you just can appreciate it for it just being like a, another mosque that you can go to that's a nice place to go worship then then i think that's fine yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are blowing it out of proportion on the sort of Christian side of turning it into, it's just, you know, it becomes one of those silly cultural things online where it's like somehow a disgrace or something or like proof of Islamification of the world or something, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So you see that kind of nonsense stuff. And then I think that there's also maybe a current of like the secularist kind of things where people don't like the... They don't like sort of like the creep of, you know, back of religion. And it's easy for me to say that that's not a big deal. Like if I were, you know, a secular liberal liberal in uh, Turkey right now, I'd probably be, you know, feeling under siege maybe to some extent or something like that anyways, right? It's easy for me to kind of go, oh, let's just, you know, let people do whatever. But I don't know. I like it, it you know, if you, from pictures at least, it looks beautiful. So it's like, It'd be nice if, I don't know, it at least got some, you know, more extensive use for people that want to use it for, you know, it's kind of intended purpose to some extent. So, yeah. Right. And it's still available to tourists, you know, so it's not like it's only, only Muslims are allowed to go there like it's Mecca or something like that. You know, you can still go check it out and stuff. I don't know if you can take pictures, you know, but yeah, I mean, it, it'll be free now, too. You know, they're not going to charge you admission to go to a mosque. So. That's a plus, I suppose. I, I do think the backlash is pretty... I, I, I just don't take it very seriously, It's at least from the whole, like, the Christian side of things, because there are, you know, Muslim historical sites in Spain, for example, that uh, 
there's like security that won't let Muslims pray in them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so if you're, go- if we're going to start kind of playing that game, then I think that it, it doesn't, you know, you don't look great when it, when it comes down to it. Sure. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in playing that game, but if, if people are kind of talking about Islamification and all this kind of stuff, I think yeah. that's a little bit ridiculous just in light of like the situation. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, uh, I think that the whole history of secularism in the 20th century in Turkey is, uh, it's not a great one, you know? Um, so I think a lot of Turks are kind of symbolically viewing this as like a, a turn away from that and kind of like moving on from that period and stuff. So I think that that's part of why it's become such a like celebrated thing. And, you know, and of course there's sort of like a little bit of just like there's the silly backlash against it on the behalf of like Western folk and Christians and stuff. I think there's also a little bit of sort of the mirror image on the Muslim side of things uh, for some people. And that's, that's not where I'm coming from with it at least. So yeah, I I think you can kind of be fine with it and who care about it and just move on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there are these stories like this. It seems like a big week for stories like this, I guess, because there was also the um, AP. Did you see the story the AP did about uh, the Catholic church or whatever? Um, a mass. Oh, there's some money or something going to yeah. them from. Uh... Well, yeah. What happened was uh, they made like a the the government made a rule that churches and like NGOs that are related to churches and stuff can apply for the paycheck protection program just like any other nonprofit could. Normally, they wouldn't be really allowed to under the you know separation of church and state. That would be kind of like a line kind of thing. And instead, they said because it's like the COVID crisis, anyone can apply really. And so, you know, the church itself is like, it's not like, it's, it's, it's very weird legal situation, right? Where there's like, you know, thousands of NGOs across the United States that are, you know, maybe like a soup kitchen or like, a, you know, a monastery and all this other stuff. All of them basically applied for it, basically, right? Like the bishops and stuff were like, you have to, you know, if you can, if you qualify, you should apply. Now, all, all the other churches did that too. Like, it's not like a conspiracy or anything like that, right? But but if it's uh if you add up all the money it's like a billion dollars or something right because it's like you know they i think someone said they have 250,000 people that work for catholic related organizations in the united states kind of thing so uh and, or you know like a catholic college or whatever anyway it's just different things like that and uh so the ap ran a story and the way that it did uh they were very clever about how they framed it they said uh using a special loophole the Catholic Church has amassed $1.5 billion in money intended for COVID relief. And All right. It, Papa getting paid. <laughs> yeah. So, but the way that, you know, the way that it's kind of framed is it's this idea that, you know, it made it look like the church was using the money, uh, you know, like like basically stealing the money that was intended for other things and stuff like that kind of thing, right? So it was clever how they kind of did that and, you know, make it look like it's like a, a heist or something like that and then the related thing was that you know they that was what they led with right they did have like sort of a journalistic angle inside that that was sort of the core of the story but was not really the way that they sold it at first and that was that you know some of these organizations were under like some of them but not like you know obviously there's so many of them that this is only going to be in a certain cases but were 
you know, making payouts for sexual abuse claims and things like that, right? So they suffered losses because of COVID and stuff, but then some of those losses would also be because of claims or something like that. So they tried to make it look like the journalist kind of thing, tried to make it look like it was the church was using COVID money to pay abuse claims kind of thing or something like that, right? And uh, <laughs> so it just, it's, uh, anyway, so it uh, it uh, caused a bunch of stir. But it was one of those things where, again, where, I don't know, it's just a funny kind of way of framing it all because it's it's set up in this way that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's not clickbait because it's like, it's not like a, it's not just, it is, I guess, to some extent, but it's also like, here's some fresh meat kind of thing, you know? Like Jezebel had a, their headline for it was something like uh, Haven for Pedophiles gets billions in COVID relief or something. So <laughs> and it's like, it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I mean, it's fun. I just, I like it though, because I always translate it into like other things. And uh, just imagine like uh, the New York Times putting out a headline that's like, uh, um, I don't know, Jewish organizations amass millions in COVID ripoff or something like that. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Right. Uh, so I don't know, but yeah. um, yeah. Our buddy Dino Kale made a tweet about it. I, I'm remembering that now, and he said something like, "What's this? They're using the money to build a gold statue of Louis the Ninth or something like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, yeah, um, Juniper de Cerro, whatever his name is, but uh, um, fighting or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, uh, well, real quick, well, oh, yeah. I, I just okay, want to sure. say about all that kind of stuff. W- w- when people are getting money from the government during times like this, if it's it's one thing when it's like a trillion dollar bailout to the Wall Street kind of thing, and it just disappears in five minutes or whatever, and then they just dole out like another trillion dollars. Sure, that's one thing. But when it's just like governments handing out money, like just let people get paid. I don't know. Like the, I don't. I really don't care that much. I mean. It, Obviously, there are certain things that money should be going to, but we we have money. The issue isn't that like yeah the church is getting some and this company's getting some. The, the issue is like the people who need it aren't getting some. I don't know, like and I understand that's where the outrage can come from in in certain cases, but it, it just seems like a misdirected sort of like you know focus on the goal of getting the people who need it money rather than like oh, well, he got some, he got some, he got, like, you know, yeah. relax, just let everyone get paid and make sure <laughs> your yeah, people yeah, get yeah. paid too. Sure. Yeah. I think that is part of what also drives people's anger at uh, tax increases kind of and stuff sometimes is that, you know, uh, when they hear liberals being like, oh, no, no, we need to raise taxes for these programs because we need them and stuff. Uh, I think people sometimes hear that kind of thing and go, well, wait a minute, like, you know, uh, you're just, you, you just, you're saying that cause you're so, you're, you work for some company that, you know, gets money from the government or something. So you benefit from this or you're a nurse, so you get money, but you know, maybe I won't or something, you know, like it's kind of, I don't know. It's a, come on, just everyone gets paid. Dude, stop screwing with us or something. So, yeah. But, uh, so the next thing, uh, someone said that I would pay a modest but reasonable monthly fee in exchange for a podcast about Canadian politics. So uh, I thought I uh, would uh, mention that one because that comment, because, uh, you know, we did get a lot of positive feedback on the RCMP episode, which is good because if I like tweet about something about Canada, no one cares, like no one cares like at all. So it's good that we did, <laughs> did a, we did a RCMP episode with Mike and uh, we got a lot of positive response from that, I think. So 
Um, that was yeah. That, it, that, people seem to enjoy it. Like a lot of yeah. Canadians coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was happy about that because it's like, oh, good, we can do a Canadian episode once in a while, and uh, it'll uh, work out. So uh, I don't think we'll do a full podcast on that, but we'll do. You know, we'll have to do check-ins on that or whatever, sometime or whatever. You know. Yeah, uh, d- don't worry, bit. guys. I'm not going to allow this to become some Canuck thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, but you know. It's nice that I can talk about it and uh, um, it doesn't, you know, go into the void or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Next question is, where do you guys see yourself in 10 years? What do those years look like? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just sort of, I got a good thing going right now and I'm just, it won't last forever. So I'm just kind of. <laughs> waiting till it <laughs> waiting till it ends pretty much yeah um and then at that point uh, i'll just figure out something else to do i don't know um sometimes tabs and i talk about moving abroad you know yeah um so maybe that but i'm not really sure to be honest i don't know i'm just kind of playing it by ear um saving some money right now and so hopefully that keeps happening and i'll be just sitting on a big pile of gold yeah do you talk about specific places or? Yeah, we, you know, we kind of get like different ideas at different times. And then it's kind of like for a month, it's like that place is the, where we're thinking about. And then next month, it's another place. Right now, it's Turkey. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually like rent is very cheap in Turkey. And I speak Turkish. And uh, I don't know, maybe I could like do my master's or something like I was planning to way back and do that whole thing. And. I don't know. There's that's just, that's like a possibility. I think it would That'd be, be cool. nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. You think you would be able to fit back in a university? Like, you know, would you would you feel uh, comfortable or? Yeah, I think so. I, I I mean, when I originally did it, I mean, not the very first time right out of high school, but I I so I went to school for like a year and then dropped out and went back a few years later. I was already feeling like you know, I'm, I'm like in that non-traditional, whatever they call it for the old people going back. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was like 22 or something and going back as a sophomore. And so I feel like I've already done that. And I, I, I did enjoy it. And I, I really like dedicated myself to it. I put a lot of effort into it. Um, I took some grad level courses and I enjoyed those the most. So I, I yeah, I think I would enjoy doing something like that. I, the, the main thing is like, is that worth it uh, in terms of spending my time and money doing that versus like working, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess for myself, uh, I like, I've always found it too hard to, I mean, I, I have at different times, but I just really haven't really been able to keep it together for like a normal sort of full-time job kind of thing. So my kind of hope is that I sort of keep uh, accumulating almost like experience points in, you know, like, five different little things that I like doing and, uh, you know, getting them up to a point where it's like a snowball kind of thing. I just keep going forward. And those, you know, five different things, like say writing magazine articles or something like that. And, you know, just whatever. And, uh, that somehow all of that together is a decent income or something. Right. Like, so that, you know, I could be doing this or that. And then, use and then i would have like you know i might buy an apartment say in montreal or something or wherever and use that as a home base but then go all over the place kind of thing i think that'd be fun to do like to go 
different places and stuff. I don't know. I think that'd be fun. Um, yeah. It's kind of funny and, that we're both talking about travel, but like, who knows? Maybe hey, 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 the whole yeah, world yeah. will just become like, you know, barren wasteland of sure. pandemic zones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think over the last next 10 years, that's what uh, is sort of the, it's hard though, because uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, am I going to be finally good at the things I want to be good at when I'm like 70 or something? If I just keep chipping away at one or two of them instead of, uh, you know, going all in on something. So, but yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, keep doing that. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that that's the, you know, that's, I think that's the best thing for me. I mean, we've talked about this before, but like just putting one foot in front of the other a bit here and there and just working on things as they come up instead of trying to, uh, you know, plan out the whole future in detail or something. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm doing too. So I, I mean, just going how this year has gone, like who knows what's going to happen in like 10 years. Like yeah. imagine if each year gets worse, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. point of planning anything right now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Although I've been, mean, you know, I, I mean the same kind of thing as you, I, you know, I, I paid off all my debts and uh, I'm starting to save and, so I'm in kind of a good position where, you know, I, I feel like, you know, compared to most people, uh, you know, I feel like more on an upward trajectory than I saw something like, I think like a third of people couldn't make their July housing payments or something like that. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not in that position. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, so generous. Yeah. So I think that uh, I can't complain in that regard. So that's yeah. going to get rough. Yeah. Like towards the end of the year, that's going to be pretty bad yeah yep that'll be fun to get mad on twitter about i guess <laughs> yeah um so the next uh question is i consider liking muslim tom's tweets paying my jizya is this correct tom um no so a couple things no, no you owe money uh but there is no emirate as of yet so you actually do not owe jizya just yet but don't worry it's coming and then you will definitely owe actual currency likes while appreciated don't count oh so uh can you play pay in kind for just was that historical like could you say uh yeah i believe give so a goat or whatever? I, yeah. I believe that both zakat and jizya were payable in kind i mean i think in most cases around the world a lot of people like would pay taxes and of all kinds in kind do uh, people underneath this kind of program, do, do they have to pay zakat as well, or is that just for Muslims? Are you talking about historically or are yeah, historically. Um Zakat is only for Muslims, and jizya okay. is a, it's like a substitution. Like you, sure. if you're a Muslim, you have certain obligations like military service and stuff like that. And then if you are non-Muslim, you are exempt from military service, et cetera. And you also, uh, you, you don't pay Scott, you pay Jizya. Okay. Which is why it's, I mean, that's the, the reasoning behind why Jizya is a little bit higher. And it, it's never been the case that it's like Muslims have to pay like a dollar and, and non-Muslims pay a hundred or something. It's never been anything crazy out of whack that I'm aware of. So, okay. Um, is it chill to go on birthright Israel? No. It's not. I mean, if you go there with a, kind of a, a something else in mind, you know, I'm not suggesting anything. But if, if you have like a little plan that you're going to implement while there, you know, and you 
have something special in your backpack for those people that's fine but uh yeah don't don't go and like dance on the beach with like idf murderers like i don't think that's chill um yeah the thing is i think i think this is there's so, sort of like unique american reasons why they think that this gets some coverage but these kind of things exist or at least existed all over the place in the past kind of thing like like we we associate it with just israel i guess but i actually live right near a ukrainian youth camp kind of thing it's like i don't know like a big cultural thing i guess and i, I think saw that, something about one of those places in the news i don't know did you see this no all right, sorry, we'll get back to this in a second, but I saw something that was like, it was a Ukrainian-Canadian youth camp, like you're describing, uh, and they have like a portrait of some like fascist far-right like guy, like black oh, yeah. and white picture, like, I don't know, from the 30s or something, and they're like yeah. all dressed up Hitler youth style and uniforms and so yeah, that might, and, that, yeah, that might even be it. I don't know. I mean, there's a bunch of them probably in, <laughs> in Canada, but that's probably one of them. I don't know. So uh, yeah, they have. Uh, that's the kind of thing. I mean, like, there's all these weird uh, um, programs like this that exist, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be ethnic or religious, whatever. Too. Years ago, I went to one that was like youth leadership or something like that kind of thing, you know, and uh, it was like to me it was like a junket kind of thing like you go and you get like a free weekend basically or something or like a cheap weekend uh in ottawa or something right and then you go with other students and stuff and it's just it's supposed to be you know i don't know fun and to to do that and get a, you know a free trip out of it kind of thing but you know once you get there you start to put two and two together and you start to realize that it's like a captive audience thing right you know you have to sit through like a military recruiter and stuff and it's like uh, it's like when they do the timeshare stuff or something, but like for kids or something. But yeah, I don't know. So there's like the whole, there's like a whole ecosystem of trying to get kids to believe different things or something like that. That's uh, out there, and um, I don't know. I I feel like that doesn't get talked about as much. I don't know. I I mean I know it does with Israel, because uh, of like you know the anti-Semitism on the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but also because like I don't know. There's just there's so much of the youth culture stuff is just strange. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Anyways. I, I'm just thinking about it. Like what if some government offered me a free vacation? Like Turkey, I don't think it's really comparable to Israel in that sense. But like, let's say I wanted to go to Dubai or something and the UAE offered me like a free vacation or something. I'm thinking I would probably take it. So I can't really come down too hard on sure. someone for doing birthright just because it's like a free trip to the beach or whatever. Yeah, but uh, you know, I'm not gonna say that like it's something that uh, is like a decent thing to do. I think it's pretty, pretty bad. Although you're probably not hurting anybody or whatever, so like I don't know. I'm not gonna get too worked up about it. Like I know people who have done it, and I don't hold it against them or anything like that. But yeah, it's not a it's not a good thing, right? Yeah. Um. So the next question is for you, and it says. Not to be all troll Islam, but how do you deal with the whole Aisha thing? Because if I were to go all troll Islam, that seems like it'd be the easiest target. Um. So, yeah, I don't think it, you've answered this one. This seems like a every Muslim online gets to ask this at least once. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, the, I think we had to. Yeah. So it's good to to get through it. I don't know once at least. Um, I'll be honest. It's not something that has really. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. It's not something that has really 
bothered me. It's it's one of those things that it, it's clearly from a different time and place. So I just feel like I don't have the proper perspective to like judge it really. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying that, oh, well, it's totally okay to like date people or like marry someone uh, that's extremely young because it was a different time and that's that. I'm not saying that like that that settles it for me, but I just feel like because of the way that we look at these things today, I, I just think that I can't look at it like in an objective way. Um, but I will say that it does not at all seem like it was some sort of predatory relationship or anything like that. From what I understand, and again, I haven't looked into this super deeply or whatever, that the, you know, he was betrothed to her when she was extremely young. She was the daughter of, of Abu Bakr, who was like his best friend. He was the caliph after Muhammad. And, you know, she grew up to become a very prominent person in the community. She was a top Hadith scholar. Uh, so she taught tons of people the religion uh she was in battles and stuff you know she she was not someone who was like a devastated victim of abuse or something like that you know yeah. like you can clearly see that that's not the case and that she was very fond of him and all that so the way i look at it is they were both very good to each other they were both very happy with each other and um she's a great example of, for for muslims especially muslim women uh, you know, we refer to her as the mother of believers. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 it. I, I just don't uh, it doesn't establish a precedent that would allow like child marriage or anything like that. Like in the Sharia, that's that's not considered something that's like part of the Sunnah or something like that. It's, it's considered like he actually had more wives than is permissible to Muslim men. Men can have up to four wives, uh, provided that they treat them all equally in in down to the last detail like it's absurd the level of detail you have to be equal to everybody so it's essentially like not worth the effort but uh you know he had i think six at most and up i think he had nine or something over the course of his life um it's just not yeah you know th that whole situation is so foreign to me i just don't have i can't make heads or tails of it in terms of like judging it so it's just like well th that happened no one got hurt, so you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I think that makes sense to say. Um, yeah, I don't know, I, I, but it is, I guess, one of the first things people think of uh, as like a gotcha kind of thing. I guess so. It's good. To yeah, just, yeah. You know. I mean, it, it's definitely, yeah, that's definitely a thing. But uh, and I don't know if my response is gonna uh, satisfy everyone, but th that's just how I feel about it and i i think a lot of muslims it's it's like that it's not something that we really think about as like a a thing you know yeah it, it it does seem to you know at least the broader problem does seem to sort of get at um marriage as more than just uh you know it's like it also includes different types of relationships of trying to you know take over uh responsibilities for someone else uh when they die or something like that kind of things like that you know like these kind mm -hmm. of strange difficult situations that come up that we don't really have the same equivalents for these days we don't think in those terms kind of thing in the same way i don't think so yeah yeah know. i mean the marriage as an institution has changed so dramatically since the, those times you know and not yeah. only is that a one and a half millennia ago it's also a, a different culture you know very like arabian 
culture is just so different from like modern Western culture, just on, in terms of that. So that, yeah, it's just, you know, a lot of his marriages, uh, were clearly had some political aspect to them. Like it was marrying, uh, someone from a tribe that would kind of bring those people to be like kind of more accepting of Islam and stuff like that. And it's not to say that there wasn't like genuine love between, him and, and that particular wife, but it's just like that. We, we just do things very differently. So it's just not, um, I, I, I don't think you can just like transplant yourself and put yourself in, in that position and just like not make adjustments for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next question is, Don, what do you think about Charles Bettelheim's Maoist era work? So Charles Bettelheim was a economist who started learning a lot about economic planning and sort of spun off into like a very far left direction. Originally, I think he was like a Trotskyist guy. And then he kind of, it didn't really, it's not like really he flipped really. It was more that he got convinced that Maoist China was moving in a certain positive direction on some things kind of thing, you know, like uh, he thought were serious problems with the Soviet model. So there's like a short period of time where he was kind of popular writing a lot of works on like problems and planning and all that in uh and he's french i guess did i say that anyways but uh he uh wrote a book a series of books i guess it's like a big volume or whatever it's a uh, class struggles in the ussr that is number one uh criticism of stalinism that you know the sort of mainline stalinist uh, view was that there was not really class struggles within the ussr because the proletariat had won so they didn't there wasn't like an ongoing process except for like spies and all that kind of stuff trying to undermine them so he was kind of his whole kind of take on this was that if you look at the actual like on the ground stuff and how it was working there was basically a fight over whether workers should control the factories or not and like whether they should control the planning process or whether it should be like this new bureaucratic stratum and his whole thing was that that was not like determined ahead of time i guess to some extent like that was it rolled out over time so he his kind of you know he was very, very much more, you know, he came to the conclusion that eventually that the Soviet Union was basically state capitalist. And he had this idea that really, I mean, the way that I look at it from what I've read of his is that the Soviet Union almost became, I don't know the word, like maybe simulacrum, whatever, but uh, of social democracy, basically, that it created this, you know, worldview around itself that it was basically a dictatorship, but uh, it had created this model of the world, which was basically almost like advanced German capitalism or whatever, but within this sort of Soviet dictatorship. So it wasn't actually revolutionary in a lot of ways. It was still built on this model of industrial progress and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't based on destroying the capitalist system. It was based on this sort of very highly ordered, highly regulated emulation of capitalism down to the you know having the managers in the factories even though you're a socialist country why would you have managers and all that kind of stuff so he was really big on some of the very basic fundamental things that to him were like obvious about this kind of process that had sort of been obscured by the debate because to a lot of socialists that's like a non-problem like it's like you know you're either really a social democrat or you're a stalinist slash maybe trotskyist or something you're not actually trying to break out of that model at all you're trying to make it more human in different ways or more democratic, whatever, but you're not actually trying to get out of that basic model of state planning and all that. So, um, yeah. So I don't know. I think it's a, 
I think it's very interesting. What ended up happening was I started reading the class struggles in the USSR. I got it over the library and I guess I moved suddenly or something like that. So I had to return all the library books and I just never got back into it. You know, I had kind of like moved on and, uh, but I hope to buy them one day. They're hard to, I think they're hard to get. I'm not sure. I don't know if they, they're out of print a lot of these books because, uh, you know, they were, you know, they're not like, <laughs> they're, they're not like bestsellers, I guess, but <laughs> he's a, he's the kind of guy that I think would be good for people that are interested in planning and stuff to at least take a look at, because there's some interesting stuff in the, that book. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, so what are Tom's favorite Skyrim mods? So w when you ask that question, I sort of think of a few different ways to answer it. There's some mods that I just wouldn't play the game without, and then there's some that are just, like, they're really fun. So the, the ones I wouldn't play without are, like, the there's one called, like, Alternate Start, and that lets you skip the whole intro stuff and, and choose, like, a, a different kind of scenario that you begin in like some of them are pointedly sort of towards a certain kind of character like you can start as a soldier on one of the sides of the civil war or something like that but i kind of like the more generic ones but just that it skips the whole intro sequence because that gets a little bit tiresome to do over and over again uh there's the basic like sky ue mod which changes the the whole you know just the basic interface to make it a little more friendly to computers and, and whatnot what I really like are like the weather stuff and the just like the landscape textures and stuff like that. Because for me, like a big part of Skyrim is just wandering around in it and enjoying that aspect of it. The quests and going in the caves all the time gets a little boring after a while. So, you know, I haven't really played much Skyrim lately, but when I do play it, it's just kind of to run around. And a lot of times it's just to check out some new mod or new texture or something. <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. to see it's like a, a you know like an update to the game or something so yeah that, that's about it i oh you know what i guess my fa absolute favorite one is called simply bigger trees and what that does it's very simple as the name suggests it makes all the trees like 2.5 times larger or something like that and it has a massive impact on the way that the environments feel because all oh, of a really? sudden these trees like have massive trunks and so like when you go into a forest, like it's, it's not just like these little sticks, it's these trees that like rise up into the sky and it kind of can even cover the, 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 uh, the sky, you know, so it like affects the lighting and everything. So when you're in a forest, it actually feels like you're in a forest. It's not just like you're wandering by some, some little trees here and there. Uh, mm -hmm. so I, I think that's a really good mod. It's a little bit, um, intensive if you don't have a lot of you know, like if your graphics card is a little older or something like that, I wouldn't necessarily suggest it. But yeah, that's that's probably my favorite one, even though it doesn't really change a whole lot. And then as far as like gameplay stuff, I like, uh, I don't know, the, there's kind of a selection of combat mods that make the combat better. And there's one called Legacy of Dragonborn, which is kind of neat in that it gives you a reason to wander around and like collect all these different like artifacts and little treasures and stuff so uh, I, I like that because it just gives me a reason to wander around so yeah 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 i mean i uh i played it for i don't know like a while uh a few months ago and um i kind of i think i i reached my limit on these games like any game really sort of like in the early to middle intermediate parts of the game kind of thing you know like once you hit like level 10 or something i start to kind of go okay well i got the idea and then yeah, I'm kind of like you know, uh, 
that's that's what a lot of people say that like the the game is most fun like from the very beginning up to about level 10 or 12 or something like okay, that okay and then up to level 30 it's kind of a grind and then once you're past 30 it's at a, you can kind of do whatever you want and it's not really challenging anymore but because you're so powerful that's fun in its own different kind of way so sure yeah um so the next question is about uh, MOOCs, like the massively online open courses. What do you guys think of the Udemy courses, the website for downloading cheap classes, um, encoding classes and things like that? Is it a worthwhile service? And can you get a good understanding of those subjects through Udemy and all that? Is this stuff like Skillshare? It's like, uh, um, you know, MIT open courseware and that kind of stuff. Um, EDX. Have you heard of this stuff? No. So, I mean, I'm familiar with the idea of like having a course online that you can like pay for and you, it's like basically lecture videos and stuff like that. Yeah. That's basically what this is. So it's just, a. um, so I was looking into it a bit because, you know, there's, there's different things that I thought like it'd be maybe okay to learn or something like that too. Like I could sit through a course on, you know, maybe something to do with finance or something that I'm interested in or economics. I don't know. I can't, for me, it's like. You know, the, I guess the, the selling point is supposed to be that it's cheap compared to school most of the time. And you do it at your own pace or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's it's basically the equivalent of what you're going to get in most of the schools for these things anyways, really. Because if you go to, especially now, like if you if you go to those schools, you're going to be watching online lectures. That's what's going to happen most of the time, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so uh, and there is some interaction and stuff. So, I don't know. It seems kind of interesting, but... Uh, you know, there is a problem that they do kind of sell it as like the solution for a lot of people. They kind of say, well, you just sign up for these things if you need a job kind of stuff and that. Uh, I don't think that's the, the case, but, you know, I, I don't know, maybe for a language or something. I, I've been trying to figure out something like this that I could do uh, as like an ongoing commitment kind of thing, just having it in the background, doing it ever so often. Um, but uh, I feel like I wouldn't want to do any like, you know, assignments or anything. I would feel like it's like the computer can't tell me to do assignments. That's not, you know, like I'd be like, shut up computer or something, you know, like right. I don't want, yeah, yeah. and I don't want to like uh, have it all tracked and stuff. Like someone emailing me being like, Hey, did you do this or whatever? I don't know what, you know, I feel like uh, if I'm going to do that, I would just apply for a PhD program or something and I'm not going to do that. So it's like, what should I, you know, what's the, so it's one of those things where I go through a long cycle of being like, maybe I'll look into this. And then I look into it and I'm like, Oh yeah, there was 10 reasons why I decided I wouldn't do that. But um, I do want to like figure out something to do with like language though, like a language app or something. And I don't know, have you ever used any of those? Did you use any of them for Turkish or was it just the online? I mean, so just the in-class no, stuff? No, it was just classroom stuff. But uh, Tabs is actually doing the Turkish thing for Duolingo. Yeah. Or du Duolingo, whatever it's called. And yeah. uh, she's really good at languages. So she's, I mean, she's going to no better Turkish than me. She keeps it up. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been kind of fun. Cause I've been sort of like helping her and like, you know, just practicing a little bit. I haven't spoken Turkish in years now, so it's kind of fun just to get yeah. that back up to snuff. Does she like the app? Is it like, cause that's yeah. what I was wondering about. Like, cause the thing is that like the, the price points for these things are really, really strange. Like, like if I took like an online university course, like actual university, for French or something like that, um, you know, it might end up being like a thousand dollars or something like that. And I don't really want to pay that for, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not really, like, if there's something that's cheap, I could do, I don't know. 
you could probably just find someone who would be willing to teach you. A lot of people do like trades, like they, you teach them English and they teach you whatever language, you know? Yeah. Um, or, or people are just available for very cheap. That, that can be pretty cheap. I think like the courses with like universities and stuff, I imagine that those are like certified courses and it's something you can demonstrate to like an employer or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know, I went through this course. I, I know the language to this level, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I feel like I'm beyond the need for credentials at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't like, there's no there's no value really to me for other, you know, maybe they will be in the future. I don't know. But like right now, uh, I don't care about like, like that's what I run into a lot with all the different finance stuff. I like find it interesting. I want to learn more about it. But uh, I don't need to like have a, you know, a master's in business or something. It's not going to get me any value still. So. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you just tell them what you see is what you get. You know, you're, you're <laughs> confident in the product that you're offering. Yeah. 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 Um, so the next question is, Hey guys, long time listener from Northern Ireland here. I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on the troubles and the general idea of a United Ireland, uh, and which means would be acceptable to achieve it. Watch out though. This is a sensitive issue. So don't say anything stupid or else. <laughs> It's yeah. not something I know very much about, so I, I don't have a real educated opinion about it. Yeah, I, um, uh, I guess my great-grandmother was Irish or something. I guess that counts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess my whole thing on this is that I heard, um, you know, like for I lived in Quebec for a few years, and so I started to learn more about like progressive nationalist kind of stuff there. Uh, before that I didn't really have much of a positive opinion on that kind of stuff and then while I was there I learned more about it and I was kind of like oh, okay I get it like I didn't really buy it but I kind of get it you know and I think online there's like kind of a you know there's like a cheerleader thing where it's the same thing happens with any kind of state where you know the IRA becomes like a meme thing and all that and people really push United you know, Ireland uh, memes and all that kind of stuff right but I, I heard a guy uh, on, uh, I think his name was Jason Walsh. He was on uh, The War Nerd. And, you know, this was years ago now, but it really stuck with me is that his whole thing was that, like, uh, it, it really it really reflects my, uh, you know, view on a lot of this kind of left stuff in general now, um, where he was kind of like, at a certain point, people just don't care about this kind of stuff, you know? It's like... Uh, you know, about the IRA and all these kind of things is that they just thought that they were like stupid or something. Not like, maybe not like stupid, but like they, they, they thought that like at a certain point you kind of wake up and go, wait a minute, like what, what are we going like, what's going on here? Like, what's the point of this constant back and forth and stuff? Can we just put it behind us to some extent or whatever, even if it's like a, not a positive resolution or something like, you know, this whole like quest mentality of we have to achieve this historic goal and all that. At a certain point, you're kind of like, well, I don't know. Like, I can't blame someone that lives there that would be like, I don't want to just have violence all the time around me and stuff. I don't care about it enough that like I'd want to dig up the rifles, whatever, and stuff like that. Like, it's not like, you know, it's very flippant, I think, to do that. I think that also, uh, it's true a lot of the time. It used to be at least with, like, Palestine and stuff, too, I think. You know, in a similar kind of way where people... Uh, you know, went pretty far with it in terms of like, uh, you see it online, I guess a lot of the time too. Like this is where, you know, I see a lot of it is that people have like all the flags in their bio and all that kind of stuff, you know? And I don't know. I think that's kind of, a lot of the time it's like a flippant way of dealing with the kind of thing. Cause 
I feel like uh, if you, you know, lived in these places a lot of the time, you'd just be like, you know, maybe in some generic sense, you're like, yeah, we should unite if we can and all that kind of stuff. And, but to make it like, uh, you know what I mean? Like at some level, it's just kind of like the people that are being held up as the heroes a lot of the time are just crooks too kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really the thing. A lot of times what the group represents to you is not how they actually behave or what they would actually accomplish if they were given the power that you want them to have. And the people that actually live in these places have a better sense of what that would be like than, than you do as like a cheerleader in a different country that has like this romantic idea about what, what's going on. So yeah, I don't know. I, I like you, I'm just sort of on the, I'm, I'm a lot more cautious than I used to be about like, not that it even matters either way. Like if I'm here cheerleading like an idiot, it doesn't really matter, but like, yeah. you know, just, I don't get super excited about things just because it's like, Oh, that seems like they have a, solid argument that i could support or whatever it doesn't you know i don't know anything about the group i don't know what's really going on there so like why you know why take like a strong position on something besides like well yeah it seems like a good idea to be united or or something like that like that's about as far as i'm gonna go until i know better you know yeah it sort of reminds me of uh there's this guy that i knew in seattle who's a very interesting guy he was from sierra leone and he was like pseudo homeless. Like he didn't have a place to stay of his own, but he managed to kind of like bounce around all over the place. Uh, and he was like a musician. He would busk on the street and he was, he was very talented to the point where he claimed that he like had done tours in the past with like Augustus Pablo and stuff like that. And that could be BS, but he was, you know, a very good musician and it kind of just made sense if you knew him. Um, so I'm not really sure if that's true or not, but in, in any case, um, you know, w- one time we were talking and, uh, this was when I was much more into like Marxism and stuff like that. And that came up and he was talking about like, Ooh, Marxism is, uh, you know, a lot millions of people died in my country from a, a war with, with like between Marxists and other people. And I was like, well, uh, yeah, okay. You know, yeah. I didn't really have a good response to that, um, after like you know, cheerleading for this ideology and, you know, that and a few other, other experiences similar to that kind of made me realize like, I, I, you know, I'm an idiot. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Like just because I read something that makes sense to me and sounds good. doesn't mean that, that the reality that other people have gone through is, is representative of that at all. Yeah. I don't know. I, uh, that is part of the, that's kind of a little been bugging me a bit lately too, is that that whole, I can understand people being like, okay, well, you were rich in your home country and then you came here and you hate your home country, like you hate Cuba or something like that or whatever because you're a exile or whatever and stuff like that. I kind of get that, but uh, it's it's amazing how obvious it is that people, when they conflate everyone that they dislike uh, together uh, instead of dealing with any sort of criticism or anything like that. Like, it's just so, it's just so, it's so transparently obvious that it doesn't, it, uh, I don't think it's even helpful for the sort of, uh, social stuff. Now, I understand that, like, there is a tendency on the other end to be, like, accept every single criticism that exists all the way down the line so that you don't actually have to make an argument. You just say, well, I have this idea of socialism and it seems good. So maybe we'll try it one day or something like I can kind of get that. Like you don't want to say that because it kind of makes you look childish, but 
I don't know. It, 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 it's weird because I have like a deep respect for most people like that. I just, in terms of like their, their sensibility about their own lives or something, you know, like that they, they're in stuff like that. But when it comes to like actual political opinions and like, you know, a lot of things, I just, I feel like, uh, I feel like people like, like so childish all the time. I don't know. It just, it, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of uh, weird. Uh, one thing I kind of think about in, in these terms is like, how little currency like black nationalism has with black people in the United States, like as a, as a whole, you know, like that's a, for people to be actively like a separatist, we want our own state, that kind of like black nationalism where that would be totally in line with like the, the most hardline, like, you know, revolutionary Marxist, whatever kind of, you know, sentiment. It, it just sort of like, like you should figure out why people don't care about it and not just have these, ready to deploy like dismissals of just like oh well false consciousness and oh well you know they're they're like compradors they're bought off you know like yeah try to listen to people you know like i, I don't know i, I think yeah, that that's exactly. uh, it's, it's good for you to like hear people out even if you you get the feeling like yeah i, I don't really buy what this guy is selling you know just you know it, it can really inform you especially when you're talking about something that isn't really your fight you know yeah. Um, so the next question is thoughts on the globalization of U.S. politics. Um, so I, I thought I would uh, include this one because uh, I saw an article today in the Saturday uh, New York Times that said um, it was it was titled uh, The Man Striving to be the Canadian Obama. And it was like, it just, <laughs> it's just Justin very... Trudeau. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, that's kind of a, you know, that's a very, very clear example of you know, like, uh, trying to transpose American politics into other countries. You can see it all the time with other things like, you know, Bolsonaro is Brazil's Trump and stuff. And yeah, I think that one kind of makes a bit more sense, but you see it just repeated everywhere that like everything comes down to this idea that, uh, you know, you're either an Obama or a Trump or something like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And at least in this case, the, the reasoning was that I think it was like a self-described kind of thing of this guy. It wasn't like, I don't think that, you know, and because uh, he said he's a biracial community organizer who's a lawyer. And uh, it's like, OK, but like, you know, and I and also that, you know, the writers don't pick the headlines, I should note, because like, you know, it could have been the editor read it and then put this, pulled that from the article to make it the headline. But yeah like uh that that is pretty much like you you don't it's funny because it's a way of relating canada uh but you're doing it in a way that you don't actually have to learn about canada kind of thing or something you know like i think that that's the that's the underlying part of it it's like i can put other countries into my box kind of thing of model that i have so yeah it would be funny if the guy was claiming to be Canada's Obama and his reasoning was, well, I want to extrajudicially uh, assassinate Canadian citizens. I want to, you know, bail <laughs> yeah. out the banks, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a, it is an interesting thing, though, this this globalization of U.S. politics. Like, it's true that that's, you know, that's, it does happen to some extent where, you know, we were talking the other day about how uh, you start to see these same issues pop up everywhere in terms of, you know, like same-sex marriage and, and uh, um, abortion and all that kind of stuff. It's almost like, it's like a certain type of media and political environment like creates these uh, 
certain types of debates that spread across the or like maybe like even like a level of technology or something i don't know like certain types of you know i'm not sure what the exact cause would be but you do see like it's not just that americans are trying to explain canada or wherever uh in this kind of simplistic term it's that in canada you know uh or wherever like like canada is i, I use the example because number one i'm from here but then number two because it's so close to the United States anyways, otherwise, I think, uh, that like, uh, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a test case of a lot of this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like Trudeau's team spends, you know, probably a lot of their time comparing themselves to, you know, you know, tracking the American news and stuff like that. Right. Like they probably care more about American news headlines than Canadian news headlines. So, uh, it's like they want to, you know, have a certain type of branding that is completely based on, you know, Madison Avenue principles and all this kind of stuff. Like it's, you know, it's like this globalization of a certain type of elite class or something that is trying to portray itself as like a great, you know, managerial class that can, you know, fix all of our problems with technocracy and stuff like that. So, I mean, people from other countries fly to Canada to take lessons from the liberals. Right. So, and, uh, and stuff like that, like, and you in the you know in the Obama administration you had Canadians moving to the states to become part of it and stuff so it's a very uh, I don't know it's like a whole ecosystem of liberalism I don't know yeah I mean I don't have much to add beyond what we talked about I think it was last week's episode we sort of dove into this quite a bit and and what you've just said which I I basically agree with but I I think like the internet is a big part of it. Um, yeah, I w- maybe not a causal thing, but it definitely seems to have this homogenizing effect on politics and stuff. And I think there's like this thing that happens where, you know, when it was just cable news and, and that kind of thing, people had the sense of, OK, well, the news told me this and that's that, I guess. But I don't really know the ins and outs. And now it seems like people feel like they're experts on something because they read like an article or even not, you know, most people don't even read the articles. They just read the headlines. I mean, I just read the headlines, so I'm not yeah. you know, criticizing anyone for doing that. But I think what happens is people feel like they totally understand situations. And so that leads you to like take a pretty strong opinions about things. I think that a lot of what determines U.S. politics isn't necessarily just american in nature it's it's kind of like bigger than that it's money that's much larger than any one country so i think that probably uh is a big factor in all that too Mm -hmm. um so the next question is a good example of us being experts on everything every (laughs) situation um it is which of the balearic islands is your favorite what is that i don't even know (laughs) so that is the it's the islands just to the east of spain um in the mediterranean uh it's uh the abita and all that say it that way because uh we love uh castilian or dance clubs there yeah yeah um and uh uh yeah i uh i don't know i guess that's how you say it i don't know um yeah so i i chose this one because in grade 10 spanish i had uh um i took spanish just because it was like my friend was in it so i just thought i would come hang out and uh i was just terrible at it like i just didn't it was just basically like a free time class for me i just thought like i would just like hang out there and not pay attention kind of thing and just have fun Mm -hmm. and uh so 
I, I, I had this idea that like the teacher that we had was pretty young and I, I thought it would be funny to like not do any of the assignments correctly kind of thing. So she, we had like this, uh, um, assignment that we had to do like a booklet on different, uh, parts of Spain or something like that. We had to like choose, you know, whatever, like, a people would say like I did it on Mexico or whatever, or like, you know, different, different Spanish speaking places. And, uh, I did mine on the Balearic Islands and, uh, I thought it would be funny if I just made the booklet, like, so everyone else did like a normal kind of booklet, like, you know, anyways, I did it extremely small. Like I did like, uh, I made it like basically like an inch high or something like that kind of thing. And then I wrote with like various, very small, like, you know, pencil and it just said like Balearic Islands and it was just a small little booklet. And then I handed that in just like the little thumb size booklet. And I thought it was like the best idea I ever had. I was like, this is, this is so funny. And anyway, <laughs> so uh, that's how I learned about them because, and so I guess I thought I was like punking her or something that like, I had like figure out a way how to do it in a stupid way. And then get, still have to get, you know, number one, I got a bad mark. Number two, I did learn about the Balearic Islands. So, you know, like, uh, it did not, uh, my, uh, goofing off did not actually work out, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't really have a specific one in mind. <laughs> I, I know that they were important for the um, the Umayyads coming into Spain. So I'm sure there's one that I'm supposed to say. So let's just pretend that I said that one. Okay, so you said Majorca and I said Menorca. I think that's what it is. Um, okay. Uh, would you live in an empire if given the choice? I think it would be a lot of a lot more worthwhile than popularly assumed due to the negative depictions in media, Elder Scrolls, Japan, or Star Wars. Do we not live in an empire? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we're in the Rage Against the Machine cinematic universe right now. Like, <laughs> you've got, like, uh, Trump is up there being, like, just standing near piles of burgers, and like, <laughs> right. there's, like, there's, like, mist of disease everywhere, and troops, like, and cops beating up people and stuff. It's amazing, so... Yeah, uh, this is like exactly what I when I was listening to Vietnam in like 1995 or something. I was like, one day this will happen and I'll be happy or something. So yeah, um, I think I would definitely take some of those old school imperial situations over like a far right modern sort of situation, like uh, like the Nazis or or something yeah. like that. You know that that seems an easy choice and. The big problem is in comparing this is like, well, if you're if you're living in like the 13th century, like you have to live with like 13th century standards of living, assuming that you're not like a rich person. Right. So, yeah, that gets tricky. You know, I, I don't I think I would I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with whatever as long as the government and uh, the powers that be like largely leave me alone, to be honest. Yeah, I think Canada, you know, Canada has a queen. But I don't think technically it's an empire because the empire is being dissolved, right? Like the empire isn't there, but there's the queen is the queen of Canada and the queen of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, I guess. I'm not sure. And then uh, I'm not sure how that all works. But I, I was saying this the other day that I do think it's strange that like at the end of the day, there is someone in Canada, like some constitutional law professor or whatever, that knows uh, the chain of assumptions that gets you from you know the police are okay to enforce these laws or whatever and stuff like that back to throughout history 
in a chain of reasoning to some guy with like a club in England <laughs> <laughs> took over and said, I'm the king now or something, right? Like there's some, and it's got to be something like, and then God gave them the right to rule or something. And, and I know I had a constitutional law professor that I'm sure he knows every detail of that. Like I know he knows probably like, oh yes, God gave this man his uh, divine whatever. And then, uh, because if you think about it, like our constitution in Canada, right, it, we like patriated it, whatever, in 1982, that was like when we got the ability to amend our own constitution. And uh, before that, constitutional amendments were submitted to the United Kingdom for approval, right? So, so, and our laws are all like, you know, they're based on like, it's like a collection of laws from like 1867, which were passed in London. Like there are London laws basically, right? So theoretically, all of our legitimacy in these laws rests on, to some extent, legitimacy, historical legitimacy of the British law, right? And then that British law itself has like some murky beginning in terms of the English liberty or whatever, you know, like and stuff. So I don't know. I find that kind of fascinating that like, I don't know, at least in the United States, like there's seems somewhat more rational at least, right? Like we came together and built this republic or whatever, you know, kind of thing. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. We cling to that constitution for dear life just exactly for that reason. I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I do really like those, those like old timey uh, ways of establishing like who's the sovereign. Um, yeah. And the Ottomans used to basically have like, when, when the Sultan died, all the, the brothers who had a right to rule would just race each other back to the capital and basically whoever sits on the throne first gets to be sultan and that just i i just appreciate that a lot more than like making us do the work we have to like vote we have to figure out like who's the right candidate we have to like agitate for them to be on the right position on various things and got to stand in line and get covid and just yeah 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 pick who you want you reptile fucks i don't you know <laughs> yeah um so next one, should Maoist rebels in the Philippines and India give up or keep going at it? Um, yeah, I guess the thing for me is that th like these are not really like there are, there is coordination between the groups and like, you know, there's like a central leadership and stuff, I guess, uh, to some extent. But uh, it's much more like you're, you are some sort of uh, village that they're like, we're going to build a pipeline through your village. So you guys have to leave now or something, right? Like that's the kind of thing it is, right? Like it's like, and then the Maoists are like, uh, if you want to like fight back, you can, you know, and well, and like, even that is like the lower on the scale of things that they're going to do. Like most of the time, right? Like, uh, if a farmer, like say gets kicked off his land, like, you know, uh, one of the top options would be like commit suicide or something or head to the village and live on a pile of garbage or something it's not like uh becoming a maoist rebel is pretty low down the list of things people want to do it's not like uh yeah you know? <laughs> and uh you know Aaron daddy roy has like a book about her meeting them and stuff and and she says that like when she met some rebels like that you know they were taking her into the forest whatever to go around whatever to get the grand tour or whatever um, 
they didn't have shoes or rifles like the ones that she saw like until you know like i guess like the you know like the recruits the lower level recruits just don't even have anything really they don't have like so it's one of those things where to me that's not like uh number one it's not like it makes it so that it's not it's not like a rational debate at that point it's not like no one's sitting down and going like what is maoism oh it seems good i'm gonna join it like there might be some students at like a top university or something that do that but most of them you know most people are not doing that they're just kind of going oh you know uh that company kicked me off my land and i think that the agreement is legal but the government doesn't care therefore i'm going to fight back if i can and see if i can get back my land or at least some payback or whatever so yeah, and that's like the best game going in town to fight back yeah. is like whatever, yeah. you know, Maoist or or whatever yeah. it happens to be. And then other people in the village get paid to beat them up. Like it's not like, you know, it's not like, yeah. uh, it's not like, uh, it doesn't mean that just because they're, uh, you know, a poor village that they're somehow a magnificent seven kind of thing. They're all united together and stuff. It's like, you know, it's like divided like anywhere else. It's not, yeah. So I don't know. More like the hateful eight. Yeah. Um, I, I saw something on Twitter about like this village or area or something in the, I think it was the Philippines that is like proudly defiant of having never been conquered by anyone for like 1500 years or something like that. Like they fought back all these different colonial powers and, and all this stuff. And they're, so they're still keeping up the fight. And I think if you got that going on, like you should just keep that up. Cause that's, you know, you clearly know what you're doing or you're in a very good situation to fight back so otherwise i don't know i'm not the person to ask i'm just sitting here you know yeah yeah i i I, yeah i'm i i don't have like the strategic uh options that i can weigh or whatever yeah it is also kind of funny to me because i see a lot of like memes now for by people that are like trying to relate to international movements in some respects uh and they'll be like promoting stories about like indian communists but it'll be like, uh, you know, like millions of people show up at a rally or whatever and that kind of thing, you know, like in uh, Kerala or whatever, you know, like different states, they'll be like, oh, you know, like we, these huge parties, whatever. And um, it's funny because I remember this, uh, you know, reading articles about it like 15 years ago or more. And, uh, you know, it would be like interviews with the, the actual party leaders and stuff being like, oh, we don't believe any of that kind of junk, whatever, like the old style kind of stuff we just think that you know it was basically like saying that we're like basically reformists who just believe in you know sensible development all this kind of stuff and attracting investment and all that kind of stuff so i mean it's not like it's not like it's bad it's not like i like i have nothing against them but you know those like a lot of those states are the same ones that are fighting against the malice and stuff right so and imposing a lot of the different programs and stuff so it's like it's just it's funny it's one of those things again where people have like a sliver of knowledge about it and then use it to be like oh look in india they had a mass a general strike with like 60 million people showed up yeah the thing about india though is like if if you have like a buy one get one free on like a donut or something like you get a million people showing it there's just too many people you can't look at the numbers you got to divide those by like 100 yeah or or and it's not just that too yeah like they they also do a um where they the government will like say if the communists are in power in a state and there's like a protest that they support or something like that, they give people the day off to do it. Right. Like they, they mobilize the people to do it. And, uh, it's a good socialist government. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, uh, 
I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, it's funny to see the, I don't know, the simple takes on that stuff. I don't know. But uh, anyways, yeah, I guess the basic thing is that it's like, I don't know. It is right to rebel. Just do whatever you feel like. I don't know. So, so these three are related. We've got uh, maybe a question a day or so um, from uh, someone who I think is a neo-Nazi. Um, oh, yeah. So yep. <laughs> who says, uh, what's Tom's ethnicity slash race? Um, that was just a question from someone in general. I'm not sure if they're the neo-Nazi, but they had two other, there's two other questions that I thought were sort of like, we can kind of group together, answer at once. Maybe, um, one of the comments was Muslim Tom is a race traitor. We get that a lot. Um, and then there's another one that says, uh, give me a good rational reason why I shouldn't be a white nationalist. So I was thinking that, you know, you were saying the other day a little bit about Islam and anti-racism. So I thought maybe, uh, may give you a chance to pop off on that oh sure well l let me let me go through those in order so um i'm finnish american so i guess that makes my race chinese mm -hmm. um and given how i feel about the chinese government i guess the race trader thing is correct mm -hmm. and so yeah okay so a reason why not to be a white nationalist i, I mean I don't know what you want the why is your life going to be better if everyone around you is the same skin color as you that like what is the purpose of that and that, that do you understand how much effort and resources need to go to make that happen you know like that that's not a very it seems like a pointless goal that is really expensive even it, like putting moral arguments aside about violence and stuff, because I know that kind of thing doesn't really register with, with people who are into this. So like putting that aside, it, it just seems like a huge waste of resources to accomplish some aesthetic goal. As far as the uh, Islam anti-racism argument, I guess, um, what would I say to a white nationalist to kind of convince them? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have much there. I'm, I'm just, I think you got to start with the, like, what are you trying to accomplish here? What, why, yeah. why is this good for you? Well, yeah. We can get to the whole Tawheed thing later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and for me, part of it is, uh, uh, you know, if you hate people now, you would hate people then, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you, if you actually got to the point where, uh, there was like, a white nationalist empire or something or like, you know, a social republic or whatever, like that united all of you. And then the, everyone else was kind of underneath your rule in different ways, but like all in a nice hierarchy and stuff like, uh, those people would just go to war or something. Like, it's not like, you know, like if you look at like world war two and stuff, like fascist Italy and, uh, the Nazis probably would have went to war if they were the only two countries that existed or something like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, people just find reasons for this kind of stuff. I don't know what the, so I don't know what the theory is there about like, because it seems to be something like, Oh, if we, you know, it seems to be to go in two directions pretty quickly. One is that like, Oh, there's like an eternal war and you have to be like great in battle and all that kind of stuff. But then there's also like the only way we can have peace if we're like all united as a nation or something. It's like, I don't know, you know, it's, it's <laughs> war is peace again, right? That it's just Orwell thing. I don't know. Like it just, it doesn't really make sense to me. So I feel like uh, if you just want war, like that's not hard to find. You can just like do whatever. <laughs> it's true, not yeah. like, I don't know. 
Uh, no one's going to stop you. It's just, it's just not. Yeah, join thing. ISIS. There's my argument yeah. for Islam. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, so. the other thing is like, if you look at what happened with the Nazi, it's not like because you you were considered white or Aryan or whatever that they like let you off and now the, the pressure is off and they just treat you nice and they love you. The, the, the pressure is on everybody underneath like the, the, the elite like ruling folk, you know, like you had to prove you were a good German. And then like there was sort of like an examination process. They would like interrogate your personal life and stuff. And it, it never gets easier or better. Like you never pass that test. It's, it's just like a constant pressure from the state because these aren't like real things that they care about. You know, it, you might even argue that they were infiltrated by some other, you know, sort of sneaky race of people that, that corrupted the government, you know, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so the next one is, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on Rosa Luxemburg and the Spartacists? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? And what can we learn from them? So do you have any Rosa Luxemburg thoughts? Uh, you probably know a lot more about this than <laughs> I do. I just have a general sense that she seemed cool, I guess. But I yeah. know there's like arguments of, you know, about like in the left about like whether she was on the right side of things or whatever about various issues, but I don't know. She seems fine. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. That's my, my basic opinion is she seems fine too. Um, and, uh, it's, I, I like to sort of joke about this for people, uh, because it, it, she's considered like, you know, like socialist martyr and stuff. And, um, it's one of those things where I think people like her pretty quickly because, uh, almost everyone likes her kind of thing, you know, like all the different organizations, uh, because she was a martyr, uh, they they basically look positively on her, you know. So uh, um, maybe not her theories as much, but it's hard to get people to like riled up against her or whatever. So I like to do that sometimes. I like to say that like she was a bad leader who uh, got killed immediately kind of thing. <laughs> like she was supposed to lead a, lead a revolution and she ran it into the ground basically. Like she had no chance at all. And um, I don't know, but... Uh, it's not really fair to her, but it is, it is kind of one of those things where like, you know, she, uh, I don't know. She didn't do what she was supposed to do. I don't know. She didn't win. So, um, well, you can't, win. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that like, uh, you know, she's, she's kind of a strange figure, um, in terms of like, I think, I think her arguments against reformism are good. Like, you know, her argument with Bernstein and stuff like that, like where, She's talking about how basically if capitalism uh, is going to break down, like it's only going to break down through like ruptures and through like explosions, basically not like some sort of whimper over time. It's going to be like a, you know, come to a, like a defining moment and stuff. I think that's yeah, that, pretty that sort of seems right. Yeah. And uh, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be, you know, just every year they raise the tax by like 1% or something until you're socialist or whatever. Um, I think that's true. Uh, I think that uh, her sort of like thoughts about beyond that though, kind of get into weird places. Like um, she seemed, she seemed really careful about like not ruling anything out kind of thing. Like she kind of was, you know, she was more open to parliamentarianism than, a lot of the other people on the more far left kind of thing um, because she kind of saw it as a potential arena of struggle. Um, like I read a lot of books that like 
you know, by like uh, Panic Hook and stuff like that, where they're in Gorder, where they're just like tearing into that kind of stuff. Like they really think that was a negative tendency in her. Um, yeah, and I think she also, she basically lost the debate on nationalism within the socialist movement, where I think Lenin basically won that straight up, uh, where, uh, you know, she was very much uh, opposed to this idea that each nation would have its own state and build up its own little socialist organizations and all that kind of stuff. She was much more interested in, you know, like a Europe-wide, worldwide kind of radical movement towards, you know, worker rule or something like that instead of trying to think in the old kind of terms. So, I don't know. I like that kind of stuff. I like her, her stuff on the general strike. I think that that did not really pan out too. Like, general strikes are important, but this idea that it's like a secret weapon that always works or something like that didn't really work either. Um, I don't know. So I think there's a lot there, but I don't know. I really don't like the tendency to, to think that the socialist movement is like 10 geniuses or something, you know, it's like a lot better to think of it as stuff that you can think up wherever you live. You don't need to like have read what Europeans say even kind of thing. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this seems like a good place to end it for today. I think we answered a good collection of questions there. Yeah. So uh there's still lots more to come in these questions, so and keep them coming, so but uh you know, I thought just do a few of the fun ones for today and do some more interviews for you guys in the future too. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want a second episode of You Can't Win every week, you can subscribe to the Patreon and you'll get that as well as access to our Discord where you can chat with us in our community. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. My advice, don't stop rhyming. UPS not hiring. And this ain't the glory days. You can't get consignment. It's top rhyming. It's Boko Haram. It's non-violence and Afrikaans. That three-round burst firing. It's Miriam McCabe opening for Paul Simon. Rafal Stadium. Pull up in the blue Renault. All the ministers had Mercedes or the new Peugeot. That's when you kind of know. It's that kind of show. They the tight, hit your blunt, just let the run go. I'd rather come through your front door. Like so. Shorty can't eat no book, what I told Tana Hachi Coast. The room was thick with smoke. CD change, I had a remote, remote battery low. I laugh, cause sadly you think it's a joke. <laughs> Told my children Western education is forbidden Might as well sell what's left of your Ritalin No loose ends Took an acetylene torch to the filaments Told my children Western education is forbidden Might as well sell what's left of your Ritalin No loose ends Took an acetylene torch to the filaments Lines like Aikman in 95 Whole team high Plot twist Told Leon, let me drive. Took my sweet time. The scenic route, the leaf cap alarm. Hit police with crisp hand signals, then the peace sign. We're burning, we don't slice up this type of pie. Kids turning, certain. Everything I learned in community college was a lie. Called them, the calls coming from inside. 
Fahrenheit was set in 99, but it wasn't fire this time. The touchscreen cold, glow, shine. Couldn't read a book if I try. A failure of imagination, they say the treatment outpatient. Everything outdated today and come out hurtling down the ground racing. Thank you. 